Retro Rebel Gamecast episode 55 is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics for you, the listeners. Retro Rebel is released every Thursday, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. So... So that we don't get out of order this this week, what are we playing? Excellent. <laughs> uh, we are playing um, Fortnite, the latest uh, battle royale mode and new season. So I've bought the the battle pass and the automatic boost to twenty five levels, so that you unlock like loads of fun stuff, and it starts out being fun. Yeah, because I find if you don't if you if you don't look cool, you know what I mean. That's right. like half of the fun of it. Um, so I was playing with my brother yesterday for probably about three hours, and um, we were playing the new fifty v fifty mode. Well, the returning fifty v fifty mode. Ah, Apparently, okay. they had it for a while and they took it out, and then something. At least that's what my brother says. I don't I don't have first time knowledge of that part. Um, but this game mode is quite possibly the best. So it's much more fast paced in that, um, in the hundred v hundred, even if you're like doing duo or squad, there's a lot of hiding if you actually want to get to the end. Right. Um, because engaging in combat early on is actually like not a good idea Yeah. if you want to be in the top 10. Um, as evidenced by the fact yesterday I was number two. So, and I didn't kill a single person. I just hid the whole time. And then when I got to the end, uh, it was just me and one other dude. And, and, uh, I got killed. Kill in the yeah. yeah. I, I actually had like a, like a really nice pistol, but, uh, he killed me on the reload. So uh, it, happens. it happens. Um, but anyway, so 50 V 50 is, it's literally two teams of 50 going against each other. So the whole the, there's not a storm like really coming in in so much as you have to like outrun it. It's that there's a a big central part. Each team starts on opposite sides of the map. You have like maybe maximum I'd say five minutes collect resources before you need to go into the middle of the map. And then it's like people are just dropping huge forts, building like gigantic structures, and you're just like throwing grenades and whatever at the other people. So I find that if you see that your team is starting to lose, if you start to run towards the middle, everybody like seems it seems to boost their morale that like help is on the way and right. a lot of times you still recover. Freedom. If you don't immediately start yeah, if you don't immediately start coming in if you see your team is struggling, then there's no chance. It'll be like twenty to four and you'll just get obliterated. Um, but it's a fu- it's a much more fast paced game mode in my opinion, um, and a lot of times it'll just be like a complete sweep. 
So by that point, by the time you get into the middle, there are so many items and stuff. You can actually see different guns that maybe you wouldn't have a chance to pick up normally. So I did it. I paid the uh, the 20 pounds to get the battle pass and 25 levels like right off the bat, which unlock like a bunch of new emotes, including the new Orange Justice Dance emote, which was the winner of well, one of the winners of the competition they had recently for like on social media for their new dance emotes. And What's it it's called? Quite fun. Orange what? Orange Justice. You I'll need have to, to ask like my son. Yeah, I'm sure. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've paid for it. You don't know, but you have. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) that. Yeah. (laughs) Very good. Like, oh, yeah, I uh, unlocked that uh, somehow. (laughs) See, that's the problem with someone who knows enough about gaming and how it works. (laughs) That doesn't fly, brother. Yeah, so there's a a couple new challenges to compete. Um, They're... There's actually, like, more to the story. I haven't played the Thanos mode yet, although it is downloaded and I can. I probably will try to play that today. My brother says that it's really, really hard because it isn't just you versus Thanos. It's you versus everyone and also Thanos. Nice. So it's really hard. Yeah. So if you're trying to fight <laughs> Thanos, people are just coming up behind you and ganking you. Oh, well, of course, like, because they don't understand how this works. We need your help, and then you can kill me. You know, kill me after. we got to kill Thanos. Yeah. So um, that's that's what I've been playing. Playing a little bit of Hearthstone as well. Um, I haven't been very lucky with the quests that I've gotten recently. A lot of times quests will layer on top of each other, so you can compete complete almost two quests at the same time. Maybe with just a slight bit of overlap, you need to do like one more thing right. to complete the last quest. But unfortunately, all the quests I've been getting recently are like diametrically opposed to each other, like completely yeah. different classes. And so I haven't been making much progress there. And um, I'm finding that I think people are getting the hang of the new cards. The echo now. cards and so stuff, yeah. They're harder, yeah. <laughs> so they're harder to beat. I caught on quite early, but now people are catching up, so. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't had a chance to play any more A Way Out uh, because Frank's been working nights, but um, I am looking forward to play sort of more of that this week. Very nice. Uh, well, and I'm looking forward to playing that one day. Um, I don't know when that will be. Uh, for me, I've been playing pretty much the same two games. Um, not the same two games you've played, but the same two games. Uh, only two, these two games uh, since last we spoke. Uh, I have tried to play a little bit more Hearthstone 2. I haven't had time to put together a new deck. Because what I want to play, and, and this has been my biggest complaint is there is a meta, and in the meta, if you're not a part of it and you're not incorporating these new cards in the way that makes it successful, literally, well, I can't say literally everybody, but the majority, the vast majority of people are doing that. And so if you're not, if you want to play like a secret deck for Mage or you know, a dragon deck for multiple classes, um, they are not the most popular or powerful decks and so even though that's what you want to play and you'd like to play those cards and i get it i mean i totally do get it that's not the nature of it but what that what that ends up doing is that makes four or five decks really super powerful and then the rest of them you can't you may, none of them can really compete and so if you come up against one of those um you might as well concede and then try to roll the dice again you know but anyway I've got. I hadn't had time to put together a new deck, so I haven't played. Uh, which means, like last month, I didn't even get my card back because I didn't win enough matches. I just didn't have time to play. 
which stinks. Um, but it's it is what it is. I don't like that new mechanic. I no, think I, don't it, I think it's too hard. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like uh, I felt like previously, it somehow felt easier, but now because each of the ranks tanks five, it's really hard to it move is. up. Like like yeah, winning five matches, but now you actually won't get much progress. So I feel like you'll you'll successfully get your card back, sure, if you just win five matches. But your chest will suck. It right, was much exactly. better before in my opinion. It was. I don't know I don't know what happened, uh, or why that changed. I don't you know, I'm sure that there were patch notes and everything I didn't read. I did assumed they were keeping it the way it was because it was hard enough to get to break the top ten if you're not using one of those meta decks. Um, and so, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I never make it that far. I never, I very rarely, I think the highest I've ever made it was to 15, honestly, yeah. ever. But that's because I, I put to decks, I put my deck together with cards I think look nice. <laughs> like, that's literally my strategy. I, well, that's like, still pretty good. probably, like, one card that's, like, the linchpin of my whole deck right. that if I don't pull it, I won't win. So, like, for example, right now, yeah, I think it's in the in the Hunter deck, maybe. There's a card that um, has uh, every time you play an Echo card, gain plus two, plus two. Yeah. So the my whole deck consists of a strategy of two of those cards and loads of the, um, the Echo deal two damage to an enemy. Yeah. So, like, two of those. Um, and then uh, Echo and Echo Taunt, the Echo Taunt. Yeah. So the whole goal is I pull the I pull those cards. I I throw one down and I pull the echo taunt which is really cheap. Throw two of those down. And then the next subsequent three or four turns are all me playing that really cheap ganking damage one yeah. in order for them not to be able to do anything to that that other card that's slowly building and then just smashing in one go. Right. So that but the, the whole deck is built upon those cards. So if I don't pull any of those, there's zero win chance. Right. Absolutely none. Like it's completely, <laughs> it's a completely weak deck without it. Yeah. So and I, I think like and then the rest of the cards I'm just putting in because they're not really important. I just put in the gold cards that look pretty. Like right. that's literally that's the strategy. <laughs> not 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 the most uh, effective way to put together a deck, but. That's what makes it fun, and that's why, you know, even though I do go onto, like, Hearthone or Hearthpone, whatever, and uh, other other sites to look at kind of what is trending in terms of the deck building, because I don't want to go in there and waste my time, even though I do like the deck that I built. Anyway, so all that to say, uh, I hadn't had time to put one together. I don't like the new mechanic where you have to win five, uh, and then you're still a ranked 24. Um but yeah. it is what it is. So I don't I don't know if that will change or if I can make enough noise to get him to change it. Change it, Blizzard sucks. Uh, I've been playing Overcooked a lot, and I've been playing Overcooked a lot with my family, and I think that's what has made it so much fun. If I had two more controllers, then me and my wife, my kids, could all play. What's it together. Overcooked? So Overcooked is uh, it's not just on Switch. I think it's on some other platforms on. PSP or the Vita or whatever, and a number of other platforms. Um, and basically, you control a you control a cook, and you have to get ingredients, you have to get them chopped, and you have to get them cooked, and then on a plate and delivered. 
and uh, and then you have to wash the plate and so on and so forth. And you have orders that will pop up in the top left corner. So you'll see the first order may be tomato soup. It's three tomatoes. So you need to go get three tomatoes. You have to chop. You can only get them one at a time. So you grab a tomato. You take it to the chopping block or the cutting board. You cut it. You put it in the pot. you got to go get another one. Once you get all three of them, you put the pot on the heat. You cook it. Then you take it off, put it on the plate. But all of this, it's like incremental. So like I, once I put the soup on the plate, I have to put the pot down. Then I have to pick up the plate. Then I have to take the plate and put it on, on the window. And so that by itself, if you're playing by yourself, it's kind of like this thing. You get in a routine of you know what to do. You push the button. You pick it up. And, and it's, it's very cathartic, very pleasing to have that routine down once you get it down. But it's not as much fun as it is when you're playing with friends. Or it's kind of like, um, is it No Way Out? It's kind of like that in in that it's cooperative. So it's couch co-op with up to four people all cooking and trying to meet the orders. So it gets really hairy when you're like making a hamburger. And so you have to tenderize the meat. Then you have to cook the meat. Then you have to go get a bun, you have to chop the lettuce, you have to chop the tomatoes, and all of these things have to be added together. So you have to, once you've cooked the meat, you add it to the bun, then you add lettuce to the bun, tomato to the bun, you put it on a plate, and then you take it to the window. So there are a lot of steps. So if you have two people, you may have one person go grab vegetables, they put it on the chopping block. If somebody's cooking meat and the meat's about to burn, they'll go get that. And so you just really have to cooperate. So me and my son were playing it, and we were having, I mean, we were having a, a really good time. Because we worked well together. If he left something that hadn't been chopped, I'd go pick it up. If he chopped it but I had to go do something else, I'd pick it up and put it in the pot. He didn't have to tell me anything. Well, when my wife got to play it, she's not a gamer. And so it was maybe one of the funniest things I've ever watched at all, ever. As she just, she'd take the pot, she'd oh, accidentally, no. she'd set it on the floor, then she'd chop an onion, and then she'd put it, you know, in the sink or something. It would be like, None of the things that you're supposed to do. What are you do. doing? Yeah. She'd, she'd take the, and then she would get the plate that she's supposed to take to the window, and she'd put it on the on the cutting board. Well, now if the plate's blocking the cutting board, you can't chop anything. So you have to pick it back up and move it out of the way. And so I was almost crying. I was laughing so hard at how <laughs> bad she was at this game. <clears throat> but she got better, and, and it was a lot of fun. And so, anyway, I've been playing Overcooked a lot. Uh, just because it's fun to play with everybody. Uh, and I know it's old, so you can let me know that in the comments. I know that game is not new, but it is fun. But this is Retro Rebel, so it's fine. Exactly. We, set, we talk about what we want to talk about. We talk about what we want. Um, and then the uh, and then the other game I've been playing, so just to kind of balance the scales, I've been playing God of War still. This will probably be one of the few games I finished this year. <clears throat> I just hadn't had a chance to finish it. Hell it, yeah. It is a it is such a great game. The gameplay, the action, everything is so smooth. The puzzles are fantastic. You know, it's it's I think if you've played the other God God of War games and I know I've I've kind of gushed over it the last few weeks, but stay tuned cuz the next couple of weeks it's going to be that way too. Um, cuz I probably won't be finished by then. Uh but anyway, you know, the um the the it it has matured and what i mean by that is you know there are no there's no sex scene in this one as there always was in every other one you know there uh it is it is 
Kratos as a father, just as a character as you've never seen him. And um, he's just much more complex. And the interaction between him and his son is just really awesome. Uh, you know, you have to have the volume up and you have to be paying attention because they constantly banter. They go back and forth as you walk past something or, you know, your son is fluent in the Nordic runes so he can read. If you if you see some, because as I, I think I may have said this before, but, you know, because basically Kratos has killed all of the Greek gods, uh, he's had to move on. And so he's kind of hiding when you start to play this game and he's hiding in Scandinavia. And so he's with the the Nordic people and the Nordic gods. That's the backdrop for this game. So, and the Nordic gods don't like the fact that there is a another god that is not Nordic on their soil. So, um, Kratos being, you know, he took the place of of Ares, and I think that was like the first game. Anyway. But uh, so so that's kind of the backdrop of it. But it, it's just there's a lot of interactions, a lot of little neat, uh, small details that if you're not paying attention or whatever, you might miss them. The collectible stuff, it, you know, the, all of the games, all of the God of Wars are collectathons. But um, this one's not really any different. It's just more fun to collect the things. It's much more interaction. It's not like checking a box as much uh, as it is kind of a part of the living, breathing world. And you happen to. You happen across things, and there's side quests and all kinds of other stuff. It's just a really deep game, and it's been a lot of fun. So um, I haven't been able to play it even as much as I want to because I have a feeling that one's going to be one you can sink 70, 80 hours into. So. Boom. Boom. Well, have you seen the honest trailer for it? No, I haven't. I haven't. Oh, you need to go watch it. It's really funny. It's like God of Parenting. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite cute. Uh, he is he is not your uh, he's not your average parent that's for sure. But they say he doesn't pronounce his son's name like right consistently. Like he's pronouncing it like differently all the time. That's gonna bother you now that you notice. Now that you said that, yeah, I haven't. I was like, does he? <laughs> I, I, I hadn't. I don't maybe. know. I haven't played. You'll have to tell me. Oh uh, yeah, I have to go back and check. Um, yeah, because I don't know. I don't. I really don't know. I I do like. There's a little part where. Um, Basically, Atreus, your son, he um, he keeps a journal. So every time you run into something, or a new boss, or I mean, a new enemy, or something in the world in this uh, you know Nordic mythology, he writes it in a journal. And so he writes it from his perspective. So you're not you're not getting a bestiary of you know that's like explicitly detailed of what this monster is. You're getting it from the eyes of a kid. So I know that may sound like it's kind of jokey or comical, but it's really just kind of innocent and simple is his ex- explanation of these monsters. Um, Monster is big. Red monster's has big. teeth. Yeah, he's got fire, <laughs> shoots fire. Um, it, well, and then uh, recently, you know, I don't know if you know, do you know much about uh, Norse mythology besides Thor? Fair amount. Okay. No, fair amount. You know who the world serpent is, right? Do you know yeah. Okay. I don't know how to say Jermungar. I probably brutally messed that up. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just uh, I just kind of encountered the world serpent in the game, and this is relatively early on. Uh, and 
my fear that you know the one that I that I don't know what what it's called, but basically the fear of these of giant creatures, animals, uh, or whatever, like the thing that that terrified me in Final Fantasy 15. You the world serpent literally does take up. It doesn't take up the world, but it's so big it cannot fit on the screen. Not even all of its head fits on the screen. So when it goes to move, I mean, if it wanted. There's nothing you can do about it, even though. Uh, Wait, is this your fear in real life? Yes, this you have is a, a real fear life. Real life. Fear I have of a real large life. creatures. Yeah, not like an elephant. <laughs> I'm talking about how like. Do you, how do you feel about like blue whales and stuff? I don't know. I don't know. I've never been that close. I think I'd be okay. I think like if I was in a in an aquarium, and mm. a blue whale went by, I think that would be. Where I, you get to see the whole thing. I'm not. I don't have like a bird's eye view. You're like beneath it. And you're like, nope, nope, don't need to yeah. be here. This wasn't I where want God to see meant. I want to see one of those huge sharks with the flat mouth. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, the, the whale one sharks. Eat, like, those yeah. are so cool looking. I want to be friends with it. I feel like it would be nice friends. <laughs> it seemed very nice on Finding Nemo. So yeah. I feel like they want to be friends with me. Exactly. <laughs> I have whatever the opposite fear of large things is. I'm just like, oh, you're, you're drawn right. to it, and then like, it eats you. Just... See, I think this is evolution. No, no, I, I don't, don't want know. it to eat me. Like, I, I feel like I would be very scared of a bull shark. But I mean, the, the nice ones, the like, right? You know, giant. Well, I respect cows. it, but like, what I'm, I'm talking about, and, and it's this irrational fear of even things that aren't even real, like a thunderbird. Like the idea of a bird that <laughs> would be so big that if it, you know, if it flew down, it would, you know, stand taller than, you know, a truck and its wingspan was 100 feet. And you're like, that just shouldn't be alive. And it, and the idea of it terrifies me. So, so Jurassic World just really would have done you it's in. My, it's my, it's my, that's my fear. up by pterodactyls and not, shit. Not it would gonna be like, no. Nope. <laughs> but see, and I think it's very specific. I think it has more to do with like flying things, like giant flying things, because like I feel like the movie Rampage with the giant gorilla, I don't think that would terrify me. I mean, it's just giant and I'd run, but that's not what gives me the debilitating fear. It, it's the flying things for the most part, I think. There you go. There you go. A little bit about me. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's... That's really what I've been playing. But that brings us to our second segment, which is gaming news. There is a lot going on. E3 is approaching. And uh, so we do have some uh, some of that to talk about later. Uh, but there are a number of stories that, that this, this week in particular I thought were interesting enough to share. So, um, But I didn't know if you wanted to go first because the one that you found I think is, is uh, one we could talk about for a while. So what was it? Yeah. yeah you, you found something out about um, – Bad marketing. Well, you know, or or uh, they're just trolling us hardcore. Well, apparently, would Walmart do Walmart, that? They could. Who knows? Well, here's the reason why I think it might just be a mistake. So, um, Walmart Canada put listings on its website uh, the morning of May 9th. Okay. For yeah, several unannounced games, including Just Cause Four. Borderlands 3, which if that is confirmed, I can't wait. Rage 2, NBA 2K19, uh, Lego DC Villains, um, and Gears of War 5. Also, they've put some things that people think 
make let lead you to believe that it's fake. So Forza Horizons Five is listed, but Forza Horizon Four hasn't even been confirmed yet. We're on Forza Horizons Three at the moment. So um, other mistakes include the spelling error on Lego DC Villains, which is V I L L A N S. That's spelled wrong. A listing for a listing for Dragon Quest Two, which was from 1990. But they think that could be a placeholder for Dragon Quest Builders 2, which is expected to launch before the end of the year. Um, there, so I'm just gonna like go through the list. So, um, they put a screenshot here of what it is. And, um, the pre-order ones are Tom Clancy's Division 2, Splinter Cell on the PS4, Insurgency Standstorm, The Last of Us 2, Just Cause 4, WWE 2K19, Assassin's Creed ACE Helix, uh, Dragon's Quest 2, which they think they meant Dragon Quest Builders 2, um, on PS4 and Xbox One, Far Cry 5 Silver Bars add-on, which is like you can pre-order, I guess, currency or have something that comes with currency in it. Uh, Destiny Comet for the Xbox One, Final Fe- Final Fantasy VII Remake, Metroid Prime 4 for the Switch, uh, 2K19 NBA for Xbox One, Super Smash Brothers for the Switch, Borderlands 3 PS4, Assassin's Creed Xbox One, which doesn't, it just says Assassin's Creed, it doesn't say any, like, game title. Well, does it need um, one? They just know one's coming out. I mean, they know one's coming out. Um, Beyond Good and Evil 2, which we know is confirmed, Rage 2, uh, a game called Dreams for the PS4, which I haven't heard anything about. No. Uh, Insurgency Sandstorm, which I don't know if I mentioned. Um, and then a couple more relistings of those games. And then Gears of War 5 for the Xbox One. And, uh, the exclusive, uh, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune exclusive for Xbox One. What? And, uh, yeah, even and on? I guess. And, uh, PS4, Grand Theft Auto 5, and Criminal Enterprise Starter Pack bundle. So that's what they've, that's what they've listed. Um, and Borderlands 3, they've been talking about, like, several times. We know that, uh, Gears of War 4 did well, so that seems realistic. And we know a new Assassin's Creed is in development. And Lego DC Villains has been rumored for months, but many of the other games listed have already been announced by their publishers. But the developers of Rage had some fun with the inclusion of the unannounced sequel by uh, tweeting out on their official channel, just memeing the hell out of the whole thing. Like, incorrect key art, wrong font, not all caps, missing age rating. Like, they're just, like, like circling things and, like, putting <laughs> sad faces and stuff, um, which means that that actually confirmed that leak for Rage 2. So, um, because the publisher has acknowledged it and they didn't say it wasn't real, they're yeah. just taking the piss out of the fact that it was um, unannounced. But if that's true, um, then unfortunately that means that Walmart Canada has sort of pre-leaked on E3. Right. Um, which is not ideal because the... You know, I'm from a marketing background, obviously. That's what I do for a living. So I know that the PR teams and um, all the people that furnish game critics and stuff with games likely have these people on massive NDAs. 
So their whole network is probably screaming that they didn't get um, day one coverage of it, which is probably along the lines of their like licenses for getting these games and stuff like that. They have to grant, you know, people like Jim Sterling and all these other sorts of critics access at a specific time. So when something already gets leaked, even though it is in the game footage, it does put all those partnerships at risk and makes it hard for the industry to maintain their sense of excitement and also their business arrangements with loads of right. people. So, right. Um, I think I think it was probably just an error. They were probably putting placeholders and it was supposed to be on a cache version of the website that accidentally got published live. But these sort of mistakes are really costly both to the industry and to people who make their living covering games. Um, what do what do you think? Are you excited now that you know that there's going to be a Borderlands three and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I I did not. I never really played uh, the first Borderlands. I played the second one, and I enjoyed it. I think I had it at some point. Um, I know it was. It was a fun game, uh, but it's a shooter, and I'm, that's not really my thing. I actually enjoyed the Telltale Borderlands game. Uh, yeah, that was considerably. funny. That was so funny. I really liked it. Um, I'm actually more excited about Rage. Uh, did you ever play the first one? No. Now, if the it's it was an id game, so you know the the uh, makers of Doom. Uh, I think they also may have done Wolfenstein. Um, right, and uh, and Bethesda published it. It was kind of like a Mad Max, a, a version of Mad Max. Uh, you know, it's this dystopian wasteland future. You've got cannibals and and all kinds of other, uh, you know, just the worst of the worst. Uh, you've got all these makeshift weapons, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, one of the one of the uh, gameplay moments that sticks out the most is you end up at, at this uh at this one place and, and and basically you can get in a vehicle and it, there's it's somewhat open world at least the first game where you can go and and kind of pursue different side quests and one of them was uh you can go into this building and this guy runs a game show and there are multiple levels uh, in within the game show, like so, you pass the first test. You have the second test, and it's it's kind of like a Running Man slash uh, Thunderdome, where you're in there and you have to kill all of these whatever they send at you, uh, and and you're only given certain weapons, and and uh, it's for everybody else's entertainment. So it's being streamed live on TV to all the people of uh, you know whatever world this is. Uh, so they're watching you, and and um. I'm, to be completely honest, I think that's the last thing I remember about the game. I don't even know if I finished that part of it. Uh, it was a, you know, it was relatively hard. It's also a first-person shooter, so I enjoyed it up to a certain point. I enjoyed the story. It, it was a beautiful game, um, but you know, shooters are just not my thing. So uh, eventually, I got to the point where I didn't enjoy it. In fact, the only shooter that I've been able to finish that I really, really enjoyed, at least lately, um, where I've gone beginning to end and just really thoroughly enjoyed it, was the new Doom, uh, the newest version of Doom. Just really enjoyed it. It was much more fluid. It was, uh, you know, it, it's, I don't know, I just felt like um, if I was going to play a shooter 
that's the one where it's really just kind of button mashing and running and doing the best you can to stay alive. And that's kind of my bag. I'm not going to sit and hide and undercover. <laughs> I need well, to I run and shoot. Run and shoot. Run and shoot. So anyway, well, that's good. I mean, I think that I think you're exactly right. I think that someone messed up trying to, you know, go ahead and get ahead of the curve and, and set up a placeholder for everything. And then it gets published. Oops. Um, and uh, and then, you know, now the rest is history. But I think they're doing a good job of of owning the narrative and, uh, you know, making fun of the whole thing. At least, uh, you know, id Software and Bethesda for, uh, you know, making fun of it. Because uh, what can you do yeah. at this point? It's already out there. So, and, and to be completely honest, yes, a lot of people probably know about it and have looked at it. But if we're talking about everybody or the vast majority, there are so many people that are still not plugged in. Probably don't know that yet. Won't know anything until after E3. They're not, you know, it's really just the hardcore ones that are on the the edge of the spectrum that probably are, you know, scouring the internet for tidbits of information and finding stuff like this. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so I think that's good. I, I think that's uh, interesting, and, and I think we are exactly. I think we're right that uh, Walmart just had a placeholder and they messed up. You messed up Walmart. Yeah, Canada. I don't think it was on purpose. Bless them. No, no, <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, uh, another thing that I think uh, this was in the news reported, I believe, by uh, Venture Beat, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the EA uh, EA CEO is is still going to push loot boxes in all of their sports games. Uh, basically, and I, I wanted to do a little bit more research on this because just right on the surface, if I just take the 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 tagline of it or the uh, you know the title of the article, which is what most people do anyway. I would assume the worst. You know, their EA's just being you know the worst as they always are. Well, it's not necessarily wrong. <laughs> they are the worst, um, but it's one component of the game, and it is one com- game-breaking component of the game that they're leaving in there. So yes, it is bad. Yes, it's still gambling. Yes. It is something that it is a pay-to-win strategy for EA. There is no way around it. I don't know how they see it. Well, no, I take it back. I know exactly what they see. They see, and this is what was stated in the news article, that this is the biggest money-making portion of all of their sports games are these loot boxes. And the loot boxes, they're called ultimate teams. So on the ultimate team boxes, you can buy cards that have random players in them so it's randomly generated supposedly supposedly uh although some of them are obviously going to be much more rare than others and the really really good ones can actually help your team so like if you get the really good ones they will uh you know they may they give you a clear advantage when you go online and play and it's for for fifa for uh madden for all of their sports games they have ultimate teams and their CEO went on record saying this is their most lucrative portion of the game. So they're not taking it out. Even though in many places, uh, in some in Europe, it's still, it is officially deemed as gambling and ha- needs to be regulated as such. So they are doubling down on this idea of loot boxes. EA, way to go. Second thing, uh, or second story was, wow, uh, World of Warcraft. Uh, it was stated, and I, I think this is more sad than anything else. Um, uh, you know, tragic for the 
country of Venezuela, but uh, WoW's virtual gold currency is worth seven times that of the actual currency in Venezuela. Um, That's and, sad and, for Venezuelan players. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's so well, yeah, sad for exactly. Them. <coughs> I mean, jeez. I, it, it, I guess it's twofold as well, because actually for probably a decade, sociologists, political scientists have been studying World of Warcraft for their economies. They, they've, you know, the different economy, because each one of the servers has its own economy. So you could transfer servers with items that you have and sell them for two or three times whatever you could sell them on your server based on, you know, just what is the climate on that other server. And, and, uh, you know, when gold farming was really big and you could go in and you could buy 10,000 gold for 100, they really cracked down on that. It's caused the, you know, the value of the gold to go back up. So yeah. now that they've cracked down on people being able to farm gold uh, or at least sell it, um, it's it's increased the value of their of the currency. But it, it has more or less always been a pretty stable economy uh and so yeah but that's that is sad and that was reported actually on cnn so um i don't know if they're slow news day or whatever yeah but. but i don't know i think it's quite scary the value of virtual items right now as it is like yesterday for example when i bought the battle pack with the um 25 level upgrade i received yeah. 43 items so plus or minus every single item cost me 50 pence Right. That's a lot of money for a for digital thing. for a digital yeah item. for for a digital thing that I probably only use. Well, I know I only use about uh, ten of the emotes that I unlocked. So the reality right. of it is that I actually paid two pounds or the equivalent of about three U.S. dollars for each thing that I'm actually going to use. That's a lot of money, like, for not a real thing. And, and look, I rationalize it because it is a free-to-play game, and at this point, two seasons in, I've spent $30 to play it. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's not horrible. That's less than I would play for a, you know, full-price game, and I'm enjoying it or whatever, and, it, and the items make me enjoy it more because, I you know, I want to look a certain way, I want to have certain emotes or whatever. But I think previously to virtual items being able to be purchased and stuff you would pay sixty dollars or maybe a little less for every single asset in the game everything i mean that that was probably hundreds if not thousands of things so the cost per item was like you know a, a, a penny you know yeah. whereas yeah. They really inflated the value of digital goods if you actually look at it look at it outside of the context of a single microtransaction like yes if i didn't buy the battle pass my the achievements and my progression would be severely reduced the amount of experience that i earn per match would be reduced to a point that i personally wouldn't enjoy it right now i have an 80 percent boost on my xp so almost every match i will gain a level yeah mm -hmm. which is what I'm going for you know that to me is the <laughs> point of playing I want to unlock more things you know but when they say it doesn't affect gameplay that's not true because 
by buying that, I have accelerated the grind. I've made it so that I move faster. It's a slippery slope for sure. So I think I think something that as a gaming community we need to look at as a result of things like this wild WoW story and the cost of digital items and loot boxes is really need to look at how much value these things are actually worth. Because if if they didn't sell it in bundles of packs of things, the bundle is what makes you inflate the value of the item. But if you actually look at what you're actually going to use out of that bundle, it, the cost per item is incredible. Right. And if you don't yeah. use it, it's not real. You know what I mean? You don't use right. it, it's not real. It doesn't have any value. So um, when you look at the stuff that you're using, it's just not... I think they need to readjust the price of these items to be a bit more realistic. I think people would consume more. You would be able to get more of the things that you want. You'd probably enjoy it better um, if you were purchasing per item and the cost per item was relative to the price per bundle. It's really, and it's probably a whole other topic of its of its own, but it, it's something that I do actually worry about, and I don't worry about this like oh, uh, this is old man um, conspiracy theory tinfoil hat. I'm really worried more about the the rapid evolution of technology and digital currency and digital products in general, and. <sighs> I guess maybe just the um, not just how they're regulated, but in the end, it's like okay, let's say that everything that you own outside of the clothes that you have on your back is digital. Well, what happens if things get unplugged? They've got all your money, and their money—the money is still something they can trade for other things. Yet you have zero products, you have zero to show for it, you have nothing. And if they, if servers ever go down for a completely digital product that you you require the internet and a server for, then you'll never be able to use that again. You have a game that is useless. You know, you bought a name and that's oh, yeah. it. You know, you have memories. Good luck with that. Yeah. You know, there's no uh, transfer of ownership possible either. Well, and so that, say for that example, is, you were done playing. That stuff just disappears into the wind. That's you never, well, you know, that brings like me to the. Shit. Well, I was going to say that brings me to the last news item, um, but I think we, we just hold that thought because I want to I want to share this with you, and then we can we can kind of elaborate a little bit on it. So, um, according to Polygon, uh, the website Brian Fargo, who was one of the founders of Interplay, has gone on to say that in the near future we will be able to sell digital property. We will be able to sell it back or sell it to other people. Um, the idea of his is backed by uh, blockchain, which is behind Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Uh, and so the, the technology behind it is, is there to allow for trading of digital property. Unfortunately, I don't know that I'll ever be on board with digital currency or you know, get that far with digital property that I just would like to exchange virtual ideas and virtual property, uh, at least not as my main source of, of entertainment and otherwise. I mean, like, I still buy DVDs and Blu-rays on purpose. Like, I do that specifically because I they all come with a digital version. So if I want to go watch it on an iPad, I can. But I also can take it and place it in any machine that I want to. Right now I own... 
Guardians of the Galaxy, the very first movie. I own it in three different formats. The very first format I bought it is in. I bought it on the Xbox uh, through their service. Well, I can only fucking watch that movie on the Xbox 360. I can only watch it on the Xbox 360. It is saved on that hard drive. If something ever happens, I can't watch that movie uh, anywhere else. I have a, a an actual tangible hard copy of it uh, on DVD and Blu-ray. And it came with a digital version, but I just wanted it early because I'm impatient and just blew money. But regardless, that to me, that terrifies me. I don't necessarily have the faith that we'll be able to sell digital copies of games. Uh, you know, that that will be something that becomes super viable. But that's, that's just me, and I think the reason behind that is because there is no guarantee. And, and I think that it's evolving faster than we're able to interpret it, maybe, that we're able to, to really weigh pros and cons. It's already evolved. It's like, it's here, so now what are you going to do? You just get on board without thinking about the potential consequences? So what do you think? Um, I actually, I mean, I think it, it's good. I have a different opinion. Um, I go back to the auction house in WoW. Right. That is essentially the trading of digital goods. You don't get physical money out of it, but the goods do depreciate. They're um, they're based on the supply and demand available. You can sit there and fish and put in your own sweat equity and create just like you would mining Bitcoin. That's essentially the same thing. You, if you sit there and fish in WoW and you get 100 fish um, and then you sell them on the auction house and get gold or whatever... That's literally what Bitcoin is. And this is how I explain it to people. Because yeah. the fish didn't exist until you put sweat equity into it. Yeah? yeah. The computer generated those fish out of nothing, but it was prompted by the time, duration, skill level, etc. So I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, trading of digital items and all that sort of stuff will exist exactly the same way. So if you've got uh, if you've got a licensed copy of a game on your hard drive, based on the number of other people that want to sell it, just like you do with a physical copy when you go in, you will be able to sell that copy at whatever the market rate is for it, based on its own depreciation caused by supply and demand. Um, it will never be higher than the original sale price because the supply, like people trying to sell it, will automatically list it lower because they know how much you could buy it new for. Right. Um, and and um, the, the games don't stay on the store indefinitely, yeah, because then the list of new titles would be impossible to manage. So I think publishers will, in response to a secondary economy like that, when it's opened up, will be able to reduce the number of listings in their store. And... Um, take a service fee for being the platform that hosts the reselling and then they'll put the the physical box stores out of business so that's what i think is going to happen because when people Boo. can resell digital copies i know like look you might not want it to happen but i was <laughs> part of the you know i was part of the gold farming quantity um economy i bought gold a lot in almost every game that I played in order to essentially feed my digital family. So the guild needed shit and I needed to provide it. 
and my own physical sweat equity in the real world was being exchanged for someone else's sweat equity in the real world in the form of digital currency. I essentially had employees in China who were farming gold for me and I paid them. That's right. very similar to what you do in the real world. So um, I feel like those sort of economies, they, they should be embraced because if I want to sit there and fish for four hours in the real world in order to sell those fish, there needs to be, and there has been, uh, a precedent for that sort of market to exist. So I think right. eventually Xbox and PS4, if they were smart, because right now when you go to the store, we've talked about this before, it is impossible to find something that you actually want to play. It is right. so hard. Um, and that's because the store is too big. I think the, the digital store for Xbox for a new, should be restricted to new games only that you can buy. And then there should be a reselling market opened where you can P2P buy digital copies of games that other people have because that's going to regulate the supply. There's only, so however many people brought it brand new, that's the maximum amount of supply that exists. Okay. I see what you're saying. Cause that was one of my questions was how do you, how do you control the supply? Um, yeah, that's how you control it. So, so if, if every new game that's released is only available for purchase new for 30 days, then the secondary market will only exist of people that purchase that, purchase that game new. If you don't want to buy it new, you'll have to wait past that 30 day period when it becomes available for secondary purchase from people that have already finished playing it. And, and I would be one of those one, two secondary purchases. I don't, I don't really buy very many games new. I think two in the last two years. Um, so I think that is how they will do it. And I think you'll be able to choose a person's gamer tag and transfer ownership um, in exchange for whatever they could, they could make an auction house tomorrow. Like this model exists. Blizzard could make one tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I think, and they tried think, to do something like that in Diablo. Mm-hmm. But everything, you know, that was with DRM though, and and you had to always be online. And people are very resistant to that, and, and understandably so. Um, yeah. Because this is this is the issue though, because what you're talking about is is very. Um, I, you are from marketing, and and so the word I was going to use was not necessarily uh, accurate. I was going to say. There is naivete to it that you, uh, but that's not what I mean. It's more that you're talking about best case scenario as it should be if everybody is acting like they're supposed to. Like there's no nefarious, there's no idea of taking whatever uh, proprietary idea it is and making sure that you have to come to me for it. And I'm the only one that allows you to transfer it. And you can only use it on my platforms. See, that's where I feel yeah. like the problem is, is that if you've, you know, for right now, Blizzard has an auction house that you can only use in Blizzard, but you're only using yeah. it for items you can use within the universe of Warcraft. Yeah. If you if you start I... with a, if, if you don't have this universal platform, which is where I hope it would go, if that's the case, you've got this auction house or this this uh, you know this platform that's universal that if I were to sell it you know it has PS4 it's got Xbox 360 it's got yeah, all of but these it's games already on it. not universal it's already not universal by the nature of the fact that I can't play the last of us because I don't have a PS4 right right and that's what I'm saying it's like as long as as you've got one place I can go I don't I can't I don't just go to you know 
PlayStation to only get PlayStation games, which would be fine if that was the way it was. Um, I guess I'm talking more about the idea that all entertainment might go digital. All entertainment yeah. might go to this model where there is no tangible. You you there you don't have control or agency over any of it. You have an illusion of it. You can yeah. pay a subscription price, but unless you pirate it and download it and save it onto a hard drive, you don't own anything ever, and you never will yeah. again. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't think people own as much stuff as they think they do now. Oh, they don't. They definitely don't. I think my perspective is different because obviously here in England, yeah, let's say you buy a house, most people own what's known as a leasehold, which means you actually only own that house for uh, for, for 99 years. That's it. Right. After 99 years, you have to apply to the landholder to continue your lease. So you could have spent 500 grand on a flat in London, and at the end of 99 years, your descendants would not be able to live there anymore. It would return back to the person who originally owned the land because none of the physical land that buildings are on is typically owned by the people whose houses are on them. So I think my perspective is probably different because at least in England and a lot of Europe, people already don't even own the houses they own. Right. So, you know, like it's not a rental market. It's more complex than that. So I feel like the the digital economy and stuff, like that's just a reflection of a, of a bigger picture. Not owning stuff. Yeah, that you you have it for as long as you need use of it, and then it goes back into the communal pool. You know, Boo. what if you want to send yeah. give it to your kids? What if you wanted yeah. to, you know, and that's, see, you, I mean, I guess in the, in the States, you still can own the land. Um, you can purchase the land as well as your house. But I think that that happens in other places uh, in the States. I mean, I think that that is still something that happens. Uh, I may just not be as aware of it as, I mean, I've heard of that before. So, um, yeah. man, we're tackling the, the heavy topics today <laughs> unintentionally. Everyone's depressed. Yeah. Uh, just me. Um, okay, well, that's. I mean, I, I think that's a really interesting topic. I think we'll have to come back to that at some point because I, I do. I it, and it could be partially my own ignorance, uh, but I, I just am. I'm. I am leery of not having or having someone else having all of the control over you know whatever it is that if I paid money for something. Uh, I would like the option of it to be mine. You know, if I buy a car and, you know, and, and when I'm done paying for it and I paid all the money for it and it's all said and done, but a time statute elapses and they're like, okay, well, this is as long as we figured you'd be wanting this car, so we're taking it back. Um, I'd be like, no, you're not going to take my car back. You know, I need this car and I can't really afford another car payment. You know, it's, so it's just... Uh, I, I realize that's kind of an oversimplified example, but just the idea that that you buy something and you don't actually own it um, does not compute for some reason. <laughs> and I don't like it. I don't like that idea. So um, I, that's why I, can, I still try to buy. I, it's so easy to just buy a digital game. I mean, it is so easy, and it's so convenient. You want to play it, you buy it, you download it, and you play it. That's it. You don't have to worry about anything else. It's just 
And and for the most part, I would say if you took away most of the digital games I have, I'm not going to cry about it. Uh, you know, most of the games I have digitally are I have them as, you know, that would be fun maybe sometime. I downloaded it not necessarily because I even wanted it, but because I pay for a subscription service that gives me these games, and that looks like something that I would like to try at some point. But, uh, you know, most of the games I have I, or that I own, I have a hard copy of it for the reason that if I unplugged my PlayStation from the Internet, I could still play it. You know, I don't have to update it. I don't have to do anything else. I put it in and I play it, and and it's, you know, and it works. So, anyway, we'll have to come back to that one. I mean, do you but, ever unplug your Xbox? Yeah, well, my it? Xbox 360 is not on the Internet. That's because Xbox 360 is like a glorified paperweight these days. But your Xbox well, One yes. and PS4, do you ever unplug them? Honestly, uh, do you ever unplug them? Uh, my Xbox... Uh, my PlayStation was unplugged for a long time. My PlayStation 3 is unplugged. Um, my Xbox One has been plugged in for a while. Um, but that's... Because I do have a few digital games. Like, I've got Batman that I haven't finished, the Telltale. Uh, the second season of it, or the second, uh, the sequel to the first Batman Telltale game. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, but it's digital, so I've had to constantly update it and stuff like that. So, But, you know, once I get everything down, I, I would have no problem only plugging it in if I needed something or wanted something, you know. It's just, we live totally different lives. If my Xbox do, yeah. is disconnected for five minutes, I like have a panic attack. Oh yeah, I don't. It, it's I'm <laughs> it's not because I don't. About it I don't all. watch any like regular TV. Every media I consume is internet based. Right, and, and so I think if my PlayStation Four, which is what I use for YouTube and Netflix, um, if that was no longer plugged in, then yeah. But see, my TV's a smart TV too, and so I could actually do Netflix through my TV. It, I, I definitely see the conundrum. I see the issue potentially, but um, yeah, I mean that's like like I said, it's an interesting topic. But we talked about it for enough, probably for this <laughs> episode, uh, to actually get to a much shorter topic, which is our main topic. <laughs> um, so uh, our main topic today, we were going to talk about some predictions for E3 or just the anticipation of it. Um, you know, on this show, we we typically uh, talk more about you know games as they come out when we want to talk about them. So uh, new reviews or uh, previews, things like that. We don't really get into it a whole lot, just because uh, you know that stuff is. I mean, it doesn't do a whole lot of good to speculate on something you don't know that much about and for it to be only be wrong and just get clicks. And so I'd rather not do that. But there is some information out uh, about E3 that I'm excited about, or at least a couple games. Uh, for that matter, but E3 is a big event. You know, it's a big event for for gaming in general, and uh, has been for years. Um, but I I didn't know if uh, you had heard anything, Amanda, about what's coming out or, or rumors besides the Walmart one, which obviously tells us a considerable amount of uh, E3 news. There's like a helicopter going above my house right now, so it's like, sorry for the noise. <laughs> no, I can um, hear it. Well, that's good. That just speaks to the quality of Apple AirPods. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So I think 
I think the game that I'm most excited about is obviously Borderlands 3. Um, uh, I think since since the leak, uh, and that looks like it might be a possibility, I think that might be something that they're going to announce. I'm quite excited for that. Oh, here comes the helicopter. Oh, Jesus. Okay, now that I kind of did, but it did not <laughs> sound like a helicopter. Uh, okay, so, um, but they're not doing any hardware. And see, I get really excited about hardware. Um, I actually watched a, an old episode of Black Mirror yesterday. Have you ever watched this TV show, Black Mirror? Okay, no, I need an explanation. What's that? Okay, so you need to watch this TV show. It is a very, it's like four or five episodes per season. Oh, you're talking really about Black short. Mirror. Yes, I have watched Black, Black Mirror. Mirror. It is, okay, it's also terrifying. That. It's great. But I, I recently rewatched an old episode, which was about um, this uh, coder who created a game that was like a perpetual, um, procedurally generated sci-fi universe. And the people that he didn't like at work, he got samples of their DNA off of like a coffee cup or a lollipop or, you know, this sort of thing. And then using um, a sequencer sequence their dna into the game as npcs wow. um but they were obviously fully cognitive it like basically coded in their now entire... is this the star trek episode yeah it is a star trek episode okay i haven't um, seen it but i i do know of it okay yeah so uh it, it obviously came out a few years ago so this really shouldn't be spoilers for anybody who watches the show now um but basically the concept was uh, not the creepy side of it, which will, you know, that's a topic for another day. But the interesting side of it, with all the prevalence of these um, 22andMe and Ancestry.coms and at-home blood tests and all this sort of stuff, I, you know, something that would really excite me on the hardware space would be the ability to use one of these, like, spit tests or whatever in order to accurately create an avatar for yourself. Um, and I, I honestly see that we're not that far away from it. And I've heard some smatterings on the internet about the possibility of um, doing something like that to ex- speed up character creation for people who like to create their characters that look like them. Um, so if you could use like a spit vial or, you know, something like that, and um, and send it off digitally in order to create your character that looked absolutely exactly like you with all the same backgrounds and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it wouldn't be absolutely exact because obviously haircuts and things like that are a bit different. But as far as your like genetic makeup and your background and things like that, I think that could be very fascinating. So in comparison to that, all the hype I'm seeing on E3 is not very exciting because <laughs> my mind, I'm already waiting for that. For the next thing. Happen. Yeah. I've, yeah. you know, so, so I think, I think E3 this year is going to be just games and we've, we've seen leaks of what most of those games are going to be. I highly doubt there's going to be any real new IP. Maybe we might get one, um, at least on the Xbox front. There hasn't really been any murmurings about it. Um, and software, I think Xbox, they did their Project Scorpio. They're done for a while. Um, but 
I think it's probably going to be one, two more years before we actually see anything really technologically advanced. And yeah. the game lineup this year doesn't super excite me. There's no entries from any of the big franchises outside of Gears of War um, and the sports games. There may but there's be. no big... Well, if you know something, I don't. But I haven't heard any like RPG entries or anything like that coming this year outside of you know the, the ones on PS4, which I can't play unfortunately. Right, they are. and that's yeah, you'll miss out on some of that stuff. There is um, there is a rumor though of a game that you might be interested in. Um, I don't know if you still play it, but Halo Six potentially with you know generic title. Um, it's supposed to. <laughs> it's supposed to be uh, either released or uh, the. Um, I don't know if they're just going to announce it, maybe show some footage, but that is there is rumor of a potential Halo game. So there's something to be excited about. I mean, I if they if it still doesn't have couch co-op, I really I think I'm done with that franchise. Yeah, they that's that's what I was worried. I about. really liked about it, you know. And if if it has couch co-op. I'm totally in. I will probably buy that full price day one if it's couch co-op. But if it's yeah. not, no, I probably won't even play it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hope, here's hoping that they do it and they get that part of it right. Because I agree, that was one of the better parts of it and still is one of the better parts of gaming. I mean, I, I don't know if they're trying to rush us to the... You know the universe, the Wally universe, where we're all just wheeling around with a screen in front of us and eating recycled food because it's good for the environment and it's okay for you. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, so but that's something that's good. The the uh, the the game Anthem, which is which in January, I think when we did our preview show or games to look forward to in 2018, Anthem was one of the games that I listed. And I, I don't, I still am not sure about it in terms of like what I'm going to think. But the reason I even have it still listed, and it is going to be one of the games that they talk about at E3, and the one that I'm most interested in, um, at least new IP, is because it is a a Bioware game. Um, so it's it's uh it is a it's a it's got a great pedigree. Uh, the problem is, and what I is that it is multiplayer. Uh, but it's a multiplayer game with a an individual and and story focus. So like if you wanted to play it by yourself, you could. And I'm like, okay, great, that's fine, that's all I needed to know. It still has dialogue trees. It still has a lot of influence that you can have on the story and the narrative and things like that. And so that's great. Yeah. And that's stuff that I'm interested in. What's that? For me, the jury's out on Anthem. If it's too much like Destiny, I don't think I'll enjoy well, it. This most yeah. recent Destiny sucks. That's what I was going to say is the problem is, is EA has compared it and leave it to EA to just mess it all up. But EA is comparing it to their, their version of destiny or other people are comparing it to as their version of destiny. So that I cannot abide. I mean, I would, I would want to buy this day one if it had a strong single player campaign and, and I didn't really have to worry about always having to either be, I mean, if you have to constantly be online, I'm not necessarily even worried about that. I play, I still play Warcraft, but or World of Warcraft. But if if it's if it's something that it's where you're you uh, you know you have to constantly get out there and grind. Um, it's it is if it's if it's a Destiny clone just with new paint, 
I'm not interested in that either. So, and I feel like they're gonna if they do that, they're gonna go to the well and it is going to fall flat on its face. If that's what ends up happening, if they try to make a Destiny clone, I don't know that there's room for two of of those types of games that require it's it's like another MMO. As much fun as it is to try other MMOs, you you people don't have time. You know, you play one MMO yeah, or you agree. play another one. You can't play multiple ones and and actually do the the world's justice and actually see anything in it. Uh, it's just too much of a time sink. So, but that's that's really what I was interested in. I'm I'm interested now vaguely in Rage Two. I hadn't thought about it, and I guess it came out in like 2010. I haven't thought about it since then. Uh, <laughs> but knowing that there's another one, that's interesting at the very least. I know Kingdom Hearts 3 is supposed to be uh, shown. Nintendo's coming, and there's going to be uh, some yeah, Nintendo news. Yeah, but let's news. be honest. You are camping out for Last of Us 2. You are going to oh, be absolutely. in a tent. That's it. I am. That and, and if it gets released this year, that is a day one purchase for me as well. It's <laughs> also a day one purchase that is... I don't have any. I don't have any. Uh, fr- since I've moved, I don't have any friends here that are as interested in the horror genre as I am not, uh, and and uh, that would be interested in maybe coming and sharing in that terrifying experience with me. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe maybe that would be entertaining to just stream to our Twitch channel. Uh, if for oh, no yeah. else, for me, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm even playing this game. Uh, <laughs> It's such a good game, you know. That first one was so good. So, anyway, closing thoughts. Closing thoughts on, uh, you know, this news. Uh, the it seems it really seems like this this episode took a turn with the digital stuff, and so I think we'll have to come back to that uh, in the future. Yeah, I uh, well, you you didn't mention the most exciting potential PlayStation news, which oh oh that is true. I didn't, but I, but this was also a very Distant possibility, you know, rumor at the very best. Hey, that's okay. That's all right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, there is a there is potentially uh, an announcement for a PlayStation Five. Uh, from what I understand, at E three this year, it's going to be mostly software related. Uh, so not a lot of uh, not a lot of hardware news. Uh, you know, with the PS PlayStation Pro and the and the Xbox One X double. See what what's the Xbox Pro one? Uh, yeah. Xbox One X. Uh, yeah. I don't know. X, Xbox One. I think, I think best. PS5 is very possible, only because if they get a good upgrade out now, they've really made it hard for Xbox next year. Right. If they can get one out, they've really made it difficult because everyone was very excited to see what Project Scorpio was going to be. And then it was just like a small Xbox with more hardware. And we were like, what? That's like the same thing. Um, so I think if, if the PlayStation 5 is actually coming out, it's actually something different. They might actually corner the market for this generation. Yeah. That's... They might even convince me to get one. Well, that's uh, that's saying a lot. Um, uh, knowing that you uh, you know you are selective about this stuff, and knowing that you just only have so much space and funds, and and you you kind of have to make a choice, and, and as many people do, um, and so that would say that would say a lot if that were the case. And right now, they're already kicking the crap out of Xbox. I mean, I think they're they're outselling Xbox like three to one, something yeah. like that. 
So I that think could... they could convert diehard X people. If you could play that catalog of PlayStation, I think people that have been diehard Xbox are probably pretty tired of Xbox now. Yeah. Um, I think they could convince me. I think they could convince me if if they had a if the if the back catalog was there, right? I might do it. it. Which I I don't think. I mean, how hard can that be if Xbox One was able to reverse engineer that after the fact? You know, um, and they're slowly doing it. But if you build it in from the beginning, man, it just makes so much. It makes so much sense. And they would fly off the shelves if I could have the most advanced version of whatever this technology is. But also, my my previous games are not obsolete. You know, everything yeah. that I had up to this point. So I have this huge catalog of games that help tide you over until you do get, you know, your your big name titles released at first. Um, I think that would be, yeah, I think you're you're right, and that would be a huge blow to Xbox. And then really, there there is no competition for PlayStation for the most part. And there is no competition for Nintendo because they're doing completely different things. So you got Nintendo yeah. doing that more of the handheld, their games. Uh, you know, they 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 release Skyrim for God's sake, and and it's still selling. And Skyrim is ten years old. So, um, you know, and that's on Nintendo. People are still buying it and playing it, and so they're not worried about. Sure, so necessarily... five thousand. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, you know, they're not worried about competing with PlayStation because it's a they're they're playing in a different sandbox. PlayStation and Xbox are really the only two that are battling each other. Uh, you know, with these other companies, it's, I mean, Atari was talking about coming out with a, a new console. Um, God bless them if they wanted to dive into <laughs> that. I don't, I don't, I don't Yikes. see, yeah, I mean, I, at this point in time, I just don't see a third console competitor uh, on the horizon. I don't see how that's even possible. Not with the, pedigree the track record the relationships the amount of initial investment and funding that's required uh, which all are above and beyond my pay grade but i can only imagine it's a lot and atari who had almost gone bankrupt had was purchased by somebody else uh was going to be able to dive into that so anyway yeah final segment final well that was final segment yeah, Wait, that was our games. That oh, you mean you? games that define us? I was saying, yeah, that is our final yeah. segment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So that 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 ends our our third segment, uh, which brings us to our games that define us. So we have listed four piece, and so this is our last week uh, and our last game that defines us. And although I know I have made these empty promises before, we will write this up. We is in the royal we. I will write this up and put it on the page. Uh, so that you guys can see, uh, you know, what our list was. So, um, Amanda so far has listed City of Villains, The Witcher series, Dragon Age series, and Halo, the franchise minus the last iteration. So those are the four games so far that really define who she is as a gamer. So number five, what would be your fifth and final game that defines you? Well, based on the previous list, it's probably not a surprise, but I'm going to go with Mass Effect, the franchise. <laughs> Cheater. I know. Okay, so why? So tell, tell <laughs> us why. Why is it that Mass Effect defines you? Um, I really like the sense of autonomous choice and the real implications of 
um, your actions. So it, much like the rest of it, there's kind of a string of antihero that goes through. But if you, if you don't build the relationships and you don't take the time to talk to all your crew members and do their side missions and stuff, there are real serious consequences at the end of the game where those characters cease to exist for further iterations of the game for you. Um, so I think it, it speak, I'm a bit of a completionist. So I enjoyed having the full complement of teammates at the end of, um, Mass Effect, I think three it was. Um, and also two, I think I had it on both of them. Um, aside from the one that dies at the beginning, you don't have much choice about. Right. Um, but I, I enjoyed having the full compliment and going through all those story arcs and actually controlling what happens with entire like races of people, like the Solarians and things like that. I think it's quite interesting, um, a universe in and of itself. But beyond that, as far as gameplay, it ticks all of the boxes. It wasn't particularly difficult to create your character or customize it. And if you didn't want to get involved with it, you could auto level. Um, you could, you know, create a party that complements your play style. You could play as Renegade or Paragon um, or just in the middle. Um, and there was plenty of side missions, deviations, your ship looks cool. The dialogue was great. So yeah, I think, I think everything about it is probably the pinnacle of what I like in gaming. Yeah. Okay. I could, I could definitely, I mean, and it kind of falls in line with some of your other choices as well, but it's, it definitely has its own distinct flavor. So between the Witcher and Dragon Age, uh, Mass Effect takes the genre in a different direction. Um, for me, uh, you know, for for my list, uh, I had Knights of the Old Republic, uh, Final Fantasy. I was going to say the series up to number nine, um, but I, I picked number one in particular because, number one, again, it kind of got me started in the role-playing games uh, in general. Uh, it, it is what defined role-playing games for me, and I think for those that started at that level, um, and this isn't for everybody, but for those I think that started with like games like Final Fantasy One and Dragon Warrior, you had a different expectation on hand holding in a in a in a role playing game. You had different expectations for uh, you know, or, or it it taught you all the rules, you know, so you kind of knew what to expect. And so for a lot of these role playing games that are much easier now. Uh, because they do hold your hand and they do have a tutorial and everything else. Whereas before, you could wander into the wrong area, much like in Skyrim, and get crushed by a giant and not know that you can't fight those things yet. And like, oh, oops, now I know I can't go there. <laughs> I have learned my lesson. <laughs> that was learned, a mistake. That was Hopefully a mistake. I saved recently. Because <laughs> if you didn't, you're starting all over. Um, and, and again, you learned a lesson. We learned a lesson there. So, um, you know, with Final Fantasy 1, that was the case. Uh, it taught me the rules. Super Mario 3, I just have a tremendous amount of uh, great memories associated with that game. But it also is one of the best platformers, uh, not only in the series, uh, but of, of all platformers. You know, it's, it's, uh, it continued to improve on each subsequent iteration of, of the Mario Brothers series. Uh, dating all the way back to the very original Mario Brothers, or, or the, uh, oh, what was it? Was it Mario Brothers? Or, or uh, Where basically they're plumbers and you have to kick over crabs and turtles and stuff like that. Uh, you that know, just the, made the, me think of the movie. 
<laughs> well, that's yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, even you know, from uh, Mega Man and all these other games that that kind of have come after it, um, the Mario Brothers series is is a uh, is kind of the where it began, and uh, Super Mario Three is is definitely one of the greatest of all time. Um, Romance of Three Kingdoms Three uh, was my fourth game, and I chose that one in particular again because this is this is one of those resource management. <laughs> uh, it's it's based in history, which again is something that I'm a huge fan of. I I loved how it ties real world events with, uh, you know, in in a, in a gaming universe where you can take agency and and you can actually play these characters. And uh, I think the world was interesting enough because it did keep the action going. It was very story and text driven, so you you did have to read. Unfortunately, that that's the way games were back then. There weren't wasn't a lot of voiceovers. Um, but it was to me, it, uh, I just, I just, that was a that game mechanic that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed, uh, the strategy behind it. And I think that's something that, that kind of fulfilled that strategy need that I wanted. Uh, and it's one of the types of games that I enjoyed, um, that particular component. And so other games, it showed me that I liked that in other games since then I've, I've, I kind of am drawn to. And the last one for me is, from a genre that I haven't picked yet, and that's why I selected this particular game, uh, because it does represent the genre well. It's not the first one in this genre that I've ever played, but it's one that stood out uh, the most to me. Uh, I think m- mostly because of the gameplay, the characters in it, and the topic. And that is Broken Sword, Knights of the Templar, which is the very first uh, first game in the series. Wow. Broken S- yeah, Broken Sword is is a uh, point-and-click adventure game, which is not one of the more popular uh, genres of games, uh, but it is it is one of the games that, uh, or it is a type of game, popular game that um, has uh, you know it started on the PC for the most part because uh, it's really easy to do a point-and-click adventure on a PC. I mean, the the mouse just really lends itself to this type of gameplay. But Broken Sword, you start out as a character named George Stobard. Uh, well, let me back up a bit. Some of the best point-and-click adventure games uh, were made by LucasArts. LucasArts made some fantastic ones. Uh, there were a couple Indiana Jones ones that had great puzzles, uh, really funny stories, uh, the Monkey Island stuff from the computer or on the computer, the original versions of it were, I mean, they were actually really funny. Uh, and, um, and the gameplay was interesting and sometimes completely irreverent and, and Im- almost impossible what you would have to combine, you know, items you would have to combine. Cause that was part of the gameplay was combining items to achieve a particular goal or solve a puzzle. And sometimes you would be combining items that literally make no sense to combine. You're like, we're just throwing stuff together to try to get, you know, to solve this puzzle, and you accidentally stumble upon it. But it's when games were harder, and you had to actually go to GameFacts.com and read the text to figure out exactly what was happening, because somebody had to type up a walkthrough, you know. Um, And so, uh, you know, these games were very challenging. Well, Broken Sword takes, you you start out as George Stobard, and uh, you are, I, I believe you're on vacation in France, um, there is a reporter named Nico. She's French, and she, uh, you interact with her over the course of the game. She becomes your love interest in the game, 
Um, but the the idea is you're sitting out at a cafe in France. Uh, this clown comes by carrying um, balloons or whatever. He goes into the cafe and then he runs out and he leaves the balloons in there. You're sitting outside and the cafe blows up. Well, from there, you're you know the police have questions or whatever. They come over and Nico is coming over. To, she comes over as a reporter to ask some questions as well. From there. You try to piece together what exactly happened. Why did they blow up this cafe? And then the story that kind of unfolds. And it takes you all over the world. You end up in Scotland and you're researching uh, the Masons. Um, and, and it eventually leads you to the Templars. So you're, you're talking about the Knights of the Templar um, and the history associated with the Crusades and stuff like that. Um, there's like this big conspiracy that goes all the way up to different governments and stuff like that. And that may not sound that exciting, but uh, there is a lot of um, of sneaking around. There's a lot of voiceover work. There's really good voice acting in it, uh, and so it was one. It was the first one really that that kind of set this whole genre to me on another pedestal. It also had the history in it that I really liked, tying things to real world events, and the characters were super interesting. So I've always loved the genre, and this one really just stands out to me as one of the best. Uh, in the genre and uh, and one of the games that kind of defines me as a gamer so if you look at my list versus your list Amanda <laughs> we're very different gamers <laughs> our interests our interests are very different absolutely but I think that's what makes it cool and that's what makes gaming or games so awesome anyway is that there are so many different types of games um, and there's usually something for everybody you know um, we've listed probably five or six different genres of gaming and uh so if you're interested in that stuff there's or in anything there's probably a game out there uh for you so for better or worse <laughs> uh, anyway well that wraps up this episode of retro rebel gamecast i want to thank amanda for this week's discussion all the notes from this episode will be posted on our site templeofgeek.com if you'd like to add to the discussion or just reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and head over to iTunes or wherever you download. And please subscribe so you'll be sure to get the latest episode as it's released. And rate us, because that really helps our show. Until the next time. See you later.